Family and friends, thank you for joining us today. Please allow me now to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, There he is, here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside, should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God and Abba Father, even now, as we continue in the Kingdom of God series, won't you open our ears and the ears of our hearts, so we hear clearly your words of truth. Then move us to live truly and to do rightly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As everyone knows, we are living in unprecedented times. Amongst other things, the COVID-19 pandemic seems to have led to an increased interest in whether we are living in the end times. There seems to be a resurgence in end-time prophecies, end-time visions. Even amongst Christians, there seems to be a renewal of speculation about the second coming of Christ and God's coming judgment. In fact, the Lord Jesus, when he lived on earth, on several occasions, spoke about the end times and the coming of the kingdom of God. Our text, read just now, is one of two major passages in Luke's gospel. The other can be seen in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 36. 
But out of the text today, I believe Jesus was underscoring three things to the Pharisees and the disciples. And the first is this. The coming kingdom is not what you expect. So don't be blinded by presumptuousness. It's interesting that the Pharisees approached Jesus with this question. Interesting, but actually not really surprising. You see, the Pharisees looked upon themselves as the experts in spiritual matters. But here's the thing. The Pharisees wrongly presumed they had everything under control. They had very neatly packaged a religious system. They had their beliefs carefully organized. They had a very precisely laid out code of conduct, a law even for every occasion. Thus, even for the kingdom and its coming, they had a theological formula. The Pharisees, I think, presumptuously thought that they could apply the standards they had set up to deal with the arrival of the kingdom of God. But Jesus' two-part answer to their question says it all. The first part of Jesus' answer pertains to the careful observation of the Pharisees and note uh, the your in verse 20. The kingdom of God does not come, Jesus said, with your careful observation. The second part of Jesus' response pertains to the people of Israel at large. Note, it said people in verse 21. The general thrust of our Lord's response is that neither the Pharisees nor the people would actually recognize the coming of the kingdom. Neither the Pharisees nor the people at large would be able to point to the Messiah or the kingdom and say, here it is or there it is. The question you might ask, however, is why? Now, I do not think the answer is that there are no indications of his coming, but that their expectations, their expectations of what the king and the kingdom would be like were so distorted that they would never actually recognize the real thing. Their concept of the kingdom was so secular, so earthly, so materialistic that the kingdom of our Lord was never seriously entertained as an option. Jesus simply did not fit into their preconceived expectations. He did not fit into the expectations of the Pharisees and the people, and neither group had any thought of changing these. The last statement of our Lord reported in verse 21 is the most perplexing, I think, of this paragraph. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. The Greek word is entos, is within you. Just what does this mean? Is Jesus actually saying that the kingdom of God is a spiritual matter, a matter only of the heart and thus an inside thing? I think that while there is some truth here, it was not Jesus' point. Instead, perhaps the unusual term within is stressing two things at once. First, the kingdom of God was already present in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Second, however, while Jesus was in their midst, so to speak, he was never one of them, never one of the Pharisees and never one of the Jews either. Jesus was utterly different in that his kingdom did not conform to the Pharisees' expectations nor to the popular ones. Jesus was within his people, but not one of them. 
in the sense of what he as a king and his kingdom actually entail. It is here that you and I need to be very careful. Don't be blinded by presumptuousness. Yes, we are a part of a Christian community that rightly places much emphasis on the coming of our Lord. The difficulty is when we think we have worked out such an intricate plan as to how all of this will happen when the sequences of events, this will happen, then we, like the Pharisees, have begun to view ourselves as the experts. We actually sometimes seem to think that we will stand by watching all of it happen. We check off each event on our list. The thing is, I do not think that we can know most of the details about the coming of our Lord's kingdom until they actually occur, and sometimes really only on hindsight. We are no more likely to have things all figured out any more than those who, for example, had a part in our Lord's first advent. If you had asked Simeon or Anna or Elizabeth or Zacharias or Mary how the kingdom of God was going to come, they would not have been able to say, well, there will be this little baby born, etc., etc. They knew it when they saw it because their hearts were tuned to the right frequency, so to speak. But they did not know what would happen until it did. Let's beware of feeling too expert about the coming of the kingdom. And let us be particularly careful not to demand that God's kingdom conform to our understanding of it, our expectations of it, or our distorted and even sinful desires of what it should be. Don't be blinded by presumptuousness. And here's the second thing. The kingdom of God is not what you expect. So don't be blinded by pretenders. As we wait and yet do not see Jesus' coming, false Christs will arise and people will tempt us to turn to those who seem to have the answers we need right now. Look there, look here. Jesus says, do not go running off after them. Why would people long for the days of the Son of Man? The days of the Son of Man actually is a reference to the Messianic Kingdom. But why would people long for those days of the Son of Man? Because, you see, how at a time, how they desire really a time of peace, a time of abundance, a time of righteousness, a time of justice. All of these are actually so attractive. No more fears, no more tears, no more pain. These longings can easily set a person up to be deceived or self-deceived if they are not careful. We are always vulnerable to the temptation of turning to quick fixes quick fix answers rather than patiently waiting on the Lord or learning to walk with Him. This is especially true of many who are pragmatists at heart. If something works, it must be true. If something doesn't work on 
and not on our timetable, it must be false. So if Jesus Christ isn't fixing my problem as quickly as I think he should, and someone says, why don't you try this approach? It works. We can, we, I can so easily be led astray from the truth that is in Jesus because I want what I want and I want it now or I want what I want and I need it now. In Luke chapter 21 verse 8, Jesus warns, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, or I can save you, or I can meet your needs. Matthew's parallel to this passage specifies that people will be lured by false Christs and false prophets doing great signs and wonders and miracles. And you can see that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. We are not to run after this person or that other person who is acclaimed as the Messiah, even if he or she can do miracles. Because you see, signs and wonders there will be in these end, end times and in these late times, signs and wonders that will deceive even the elect. So they fall away. Satan can counterfeit and replicate miracles. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 actually gives some idea that the lawless one will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. And Satan doesn't try to lead us astray by something or someone who is blatantly false, but by those who come supposedly in Jesus' name. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And if Satan can masquerade as an angel of light, so can his demons. In these late times in which we live, please be discerning. Don't be blinded by pretenders. The coming kingdom is not what you expect. So here's the third thing. Don't be blinded by preoccupations. Jesus goes on to emphasize the suddenness of his coming, but he is careful actually to state that first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. But after that, when his kingdom does come in its final phase, it will not be hidden and obscure. Uh, it will not be um, that obscure as it was at his first advent because this was the initial inner spiritual phase of his kingdom work. Rather, in the second advent, the second coming of the Lord, it will be like a lightning flash in the sky, sudden and observable to everyone. But at this point, at that point, when it happens, it will be too late to change sides. Thus, the time to get into Jesus' kingdom is now, not later. And so I want to take this opportunity and pause here to appeal to those who are still investigating this King Jesus, who are still investigating the kingdom of God. Don't take too long because we are living in very late times. Stephen Cole uses two examples from history, Noah and Lot, 
to illustrate the same point, namely the need to be ready for the certain and coming day of judgment when Jesus returns. Both the people of Noah's time and the people in Sodom in Lot's day were notoriously wicked. I mean, who, even if you're a seeker, has not heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? But, but they were notoriously wicked. But Jesus does not focus here on their flagrant evil. Rather, he shows that they just went on about the normal affairs of life, oblivious to God and the coming judgment. There is nothing wrong with eating, drinking, or with getting married. The problem was that the people of Noah's day lived without regard to God and the warnings of the impending flood. They laughed at Noah as a crazy old man, but they stopped laughing when the waters of the flood started rising and Noah was secure inside the ark. But by then, it was way too late. The same was true in Lot's day. There is nothing wrong with eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building even. The problem was that they were living in total disregard of God. As you know from the story in Genesis chapter 19, the people of Sodom were grossly immoral. But that is not the Lord's focus here. If it had been, if Jesus had focused on that, decent moral folks like the Pharisees would have thought, we're in no danger because we don't live like the people of Sodom did. But as Jesus states it, the warning is for people who just go on with life as if judgment never will come. They have no regard for the things of God and eternity. But one day, the Son of Man will suddenly be revealed in power and glory and those foolish people will be destroyed by God's judgment. Before, though, we point fingers at unbelievers during Noah's time and the Pharisees during Jesus' time, that same spiritual dullness they had because of their worldliness, um, and worldliness by that I mean finding their life in the world's temporal things. You know, Christians can be like that too. Think about Lot and his family. You see, Lot son, Lot's son-in-laws refused to leave Sodom and thought Lot was out of his mind. Lot himself was most reluctant to leave. While Lot's wife left Sodom, her heart was still there, and thus she turned back to see all that she loved. The angel could take Lot's wife out of Sodom, but he couldn't take Sodom out of her. She turned back to have one last Longing look, she perished in that awful judgment. Jesus goes on to give a graphic specific description of what it will be like when he returns. Someone will be on his housetop, the equivalent of a modern day patio. He is lounging there when the lightning flash of Christ's return suddenly hits. He is not even to take the time to go into his house and collect his personal belongings. Rather, he must flee the judgment that will swiftly follow. If a man is working in the fields, he must not go back to his house, but must head for safety. Then Jesus pointedly warns, remember Lot's wife. Jesus states the principle Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. 
Whoever loses his life shall preserve it. In other words, to be so attached to the things of this earth that we want to hang on to them because we see them as our life or as our lifeline more than we want to go to heaven, more than we want heaven, is to jeopardize our eternal souls. But to let go of all the things that the world values and to live in light of Jesus' second coming will result in ultimate and final salvation. But now here comes an awesome and cryptic passage. I tell you, Jesus said, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. You can actually see uh, a complimentary passage out of Matthew uh, chapter 24, verses 37 to 42. But neither in Matthew nor in Luke are we told that this taking is the rapture. That is the gathering of all of God's people to him at Christ's coming, both the living and the dead. In fact, Luke doesn't refer explicitly to the rapture at all, except perhaps in this verse. When I, uh, where I am, I think in my own journey of understanding, uh, the rapture is spoken of, um, at least my understanding, is the great gathering of God's people. It seems to fit with what we are told elsewhere about the rapture as that same gathering of God's people. Though we can't be sure that Jesus is speaking of the rapture in Luke chapter 17, verse 34 and 35, it seems that one group is taken away to be saved and others are left to experience terrible destruction and punishment. There won't be time to get right with God. This separation will take place instantly without warning. Where, Lord, the disciples asked. I believe that in this parable of the vultures, Jesus gave an enigmatic reply and he said that there is no need to pinpoint a location now or that's the sense that I felt I caught. When Jesus comes, it will be obvious to all just as the presence of a dead body is indicated by circling vultures, so will Jesus' presence at the end be very clearly evident. So now allow me to remind us today about Jesus' second coming and the coming of the kingdom. It will be sudden, not progressive and gradual, but instant, quick, apocalyptic. It will bring judgment, judgment that suddenly separates people one from another. The judgment is both positive and negative. For those who trust in Christ, they will be gathered to Christ. For those who do not, they will remain to experience the terrible judgment that is coming. Be watchful. The coming of the kingdom is not what you expect. So don't be blinded or blindsided by presumptuousness. Don't be blinded by pretenders or blindsided by pretenders. 
Don't be blinded by your preoccupations. Will you choose to enter the kingdom of God? At the very end of his book, The City of God, Augustine of Hippo wrote that the eternal blessedness of the city of God is presented as a perpetual Sabbath. In words so beautiful that everyone should know them by heart, he says, there we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. For what other end do we propose to ourselves than to attain to the kingdom of which there is no end? Dallas Willard, in commenting on Augustine's great treatise, says, Rest, yes. But Dallas adds on, It is rest not as inactivity or passivity or eternal fixity, something that is unchanging. It is instead peace as wholeness, as fullness of function, as the restful but unending creativity involved in a cosmos-wide cooperative pursuit of a created order that continuously approaches but never reaches the limitless goodness and greatness of the triune personality of God, its source with a capital S. You see, for those of us who enter the kingdom of God, Paul tells us, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. For those who enter the coming kingdom, indeed, the best is yet to be. Let's pray. Almighty God and Abba Father, Lord, we long that your kingdom come. Help us, Lord, to be watchful, to be discerning, to be prayerful. Protect us from being blinded by presumptuousness or blinded by pretenders or blinded by our preoccupations. O Lord, let your kingdom come. Amen.